Hello and welcome into another episode of Lockdown Wolves. Today on the show, some quick thoughts on All-Star Weekend, how I did on my bets that I talked about on Friday's show. Pretty good overall. We'll go through all that here real quick at the top. I want to talk a little about the Wolves offense here as we head into the second half of the season, kind of teen up some topics for the next few days as we lead into the unofficial second half of the year. We'll also peek ahead and what that looks like, what the upcoming schedule looks like for Minnesota here over the next week or so. It's all coming. Welcome in. You are Locked On Wolves. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Happy Monday, everybody, and uh, hopefully I had a fantastic all-star weekend. It was... Uh, there was some stuff we could talk about here on the show today. Certainly a lot of Wolves flavor to the weekend. We'll talk about all that. Lots to get to on the show here on this Monday. Uh, Monday, President's Day here in the U.S. A big thank you off the top for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day. Lockdown Wolves is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find Lockdown Wolves. You can also watch on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app on both Roku and Amazon Fire TV. And you can follow on X at Lockdown T-Wolves, and also at B-Beacon with two Bs, two Es, C-K-E-N. All right, roadmap here for today. I do want to talk about All-Star Weekend. Uh, clearly, the game was, you know, I guess it's what we kind of expected on Sunday. And uh, But some Wolves-related topics here. It's relevant. I talked a lot about, you know, my picks on Friday. I did fairly well with those picks, so I want to get to those. I want to look at the Wolves' offense, which still is kind of middle of the pack at best. And I want to talk about a couple different things related to their shot profile and Anthony Edwards specifically. Um, and it'll kind of tee up some full shows here, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The Wolves don't play till Friday night. So lots to talk about this week as we head into the really what's the final third of the Timberwolves schedule. They're like 67% exactly of the way through their regular season schedule. So even though the all-star break is, you know, the unofficial midway point, I want to talk about um, what like, as we sit here right now, what's the Wolves' offense look like, among other things, over the next few days? And then lastly, we'll talk a little about the Wolves' upcoming schedule here at the end of the show. All right. Let's talk All-Star Weekend. First of all, on Friday night, in the Rising Stars tournament, if you will, nowadays, I picked Team Jalen, who actually, I believe, had the longest odds. They were like plus, I don't know, 220 or something. Um over actually no, it was like over plus three hundred, I think, at FanDuel, and I I thought Team Jalen was the pick. I thought they had the second best roster and therefore the best odds at the you know the best. Um, in my opinion, was the best bet. I should say they had. I think I said they had the second best roster. They had the longest odds, and therefore in my mind, it was the best bet to pick Team Jalen. They did end up winning, uh, so hopefully you you took that on Friday. So um, and that roster, by the way, I I don't know why they had the longest odds. They had Chet Holmgren and Jalen Williams, who are, I don't know, two of the best four rookies in the league this year, if not two of the best three rookies in the league this year. They also had Benedict Matherin, who's a fantastic player, and then, you know, Walker Kessler, some other guys too. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I shouldn't say they had the longest odds. I'm sure the team depth lift, the G, the G League team, had longer odds, actually. Um, I also 
like, you know, a lot of people liked uh, Team Pau because they had Wembenyama and Pitsemski. I would have said that that was probably the best overall roster. Um, even over Team Tamika with Paolo, Jaden Ivey, Keegan Murray, Scoot, Henderson, etc. Uh, but anyway, all that to say, I won that, or I, I did win that bet, and I, I had that bet correctly on Friday. On Saturday, I had for the skills, I had Team Pacers, who also were the longest odds at plus 190, and I was right. They also won on Saturday. Now that was a bit of a of a disaster. I don't I I like the three events for the skills challenge like they went to here a couple of years ago, but the obstacle course thing was really tough. You know, so many guys, I think like I don't know what, four of the first six guys went the wrong direction for the uh the um I'm blanking on the right term, but basically the cones you can go through the defenders, weaving through defenders with with crossovers. Uh, Ant obviously kind of mailed it in, tried to shoot three left-handed three-pointers. That was disappointing. It it just was like it, it being Ant fine, but like I don't know, try and win that game, right? Like or try and win that that competition. Um, and they ended up, you know, it ended up being a tie between Team uh, Pacers and um, and uh, what was the other? Oh my goodness, uh, Team All Stars, and then Team Pacers ends up winning in the half court challenge. So I got that one too at plus one ninety. So two for two off off the top. And the three, and I didn't. By the way, I'm skipping the. Well, actually, no. I'll give dunk contest thoughts here a second. Three point contest. Um, I I said Carl Anthony Towns was the best bet. I thought if it was all even odds, I would have taken Halliburton. But those are my top two to win. And both of them finished with 26. They were two of four players that finished with uh, tied at 26 after the first round of the eight shooters. But only three got to advance. So when they had the shootoff, uh, Halberton got knocked out. And Cat was in the finals and ended up losing in the final round. Of course, Dame Lillard repeating two, um, you know, back-to-back champion, I think the fourth ever or something in NBA history. So I had two of the top four, two of the four that tied for the best score in the first round were my two favorite picks. Uh, Beasley was okay. I think he finished with 20. Um, he was my third pick based on, you know, if, you, if you're looking at the odds at FanDuel. So I did okay. You know, like I feel good about who I had picked. I still think Cat's odds were way too long for this. Um, obviously didn't get that one right. The dunk contest, I picked McClung to win. He did win. Um, that was a tough one to bet on because he was like minus 375. And Jalen Brown actually had a, had a higher first round score than him. But McClung finished with the only perfect 50 of the night. And I thought his dunk that got the poor score was arguably his best dunk. The one where the, with the self kind of, you know, throws it to himself or releases the ball completely, catches it in midair while facing away from the rim. That was crazy. Um, a, you know, a, a decent slam dunk contest. Like how many Levine, like everybody talks about the dunk contest being back, right? Like that's always this big talking point, this big controversy, if you will. But how many dunk contests are truly memorable period throughout history, right? Like uh, MJ, MJ Dominique, obviously. So there's like three there. Um, you know, Timberwolves fans remember uh, Isaiah Ryder, sure. But like, I don't know that that's like one of the memorable ones for people. Levine and Gordon, every obviously Vince Carter in the '90s. So there's what seven, six dunk contests that people would say like everybody remembers those. If you're an NBA head, like you remember these dunk contests. They're the ones you always watch on NBA TV. Re, you know, replays them every year. You can go watch them on YouTube, and people do because they were they were seminal moments in dunk contests in All Star history. But like, you know, maybe Blake Griffin jumping over the car, which was kind of when the crazy gimmicks started. It's not exactly a couple of the Dwight Howard, Nate Robinson ones, I guess. But like how many iconic dunk contests have there really been? This wasn't too bad overall. Um, Jalen Brown was good and kudos to him for doing it as an actual all-star. 
Uh, so that was uh, that was fun, and McClung won, and he should have won. I thought it was I thought it was a decent dunk contest, and I don't want to. The three point contest has pretty much always been my favorite, except for those Levine years, because there's just a little more intrigue and um, usually more suspense to it. Uh, it's a, you know there's just there's just more substance to it as well versus the dunk contest. But anyway, I thought it was pretty good. Final thoughts. I'm not going to spend much time on the actual All Star game on Sunday. Oh, and the and the Steph Sabrina thing was great. Um, you know, I'm not going to. That was that was a lot of fun. I I, I should finish my thought. I'm not going to comment on the commentary that everybody's talking about from Kenny and Reggie during and after that. But uh, the it was obviously great that they did it. It was awesome that both Sabrina and Steph finished with 26 or more. Like Sabrina would have advanced to the final in the um, in the uh, the NBA portion of the actual three point shootout. So really cool and excited to see where they take that if they expand it further to like a true NBA versus WNBA. They're going to have four shooters from each or whatever. You know, obviously everybody talking about Caitlin Clark beating it next year. Um, it, really cool that they did that in the All Star Game Sunday. You know, highest ever combined score in the first half. First time that 200 points was broken. The final score is what, 206? No, 211 to 186. Um, I'm like, I, I'm really conflicted on this. Part of me wants to be get off my lawn, like play a little defense. And the other part of me is like, it's an exhibition. But can we find, like, I promise this isn't like, oh, they play defense in the 90s. But like, even when Kevin Garnett was in the All-Star game, like early 2000s, it was both, right? Like it usually was 150s, 140s, and there was a lot of alley-oops in the first half. And then the whole second half was fairly competitive with defense. And it doesn't need to be locked down, like getting a stance defense, but put up a little bit of um, resistance and make it a game, you know? Like I, that that would make this... I don't know how you quote-unquote fix that. Like, And that's basically what Adam Silver said in the past. Like, how does he legislate defense? Um I like the East West. I like that they went back to that. I also like the Elam ending that they did, you know, the last few years. I'd be cool if they brought that back, but kept it as East West. I don't know. I really don't know how to quote unquote fix it other than getting guys in there. And and the crazy thing is like the young guys don't necessarily want to Anthony Edwards, like correctly, you know, we talked about this last week. He was a little too cool for school when he got in the game that's just kind of how Ant plays things, right? Like that's, this isn't the sort of thing. Well, he is a showman. Um, If it's not like a true, like people aren't competing, it's hard for him to lock in. It just is. And, you know, Ant did very little in this game. Um, He played uh, like six, eight minutes of the first half and like four or five in the second half, played only 13 minutes total, the third least on the West. Now, Carl Anthony Towns tied for the most minutes with 28 and had a game high 50 points, which I think like 25 of them or 26 of them were in the second half. Um, Dame had 39 and won the MVP for the winning East squad. Cat had 50 for the game and got up 35 shots. Jalen Brown had 23 attempts. Dame had 26. Nobody else had more than 20 in this game and Cat had 35. No one else on the West roster had more than 17 shot attempts. Cat was four for 13 from three, had a couple of crazy ones late. He had a, a couple of nice kind of um, like rock the baby, like reverse dunks, uh, you know, double-handed reverse. He missed a messed up a, a between-the-legs attempt late in the fourth quarter. Fun to see Cat get shots up. And, you know, those are those personalities, right? Ant is too cool for school in those situations. Cat is happy to try hard for the big number. And there's nothing wrong, really, with either of those approaches. Um, it's just funny that you have 
two guys that obviously get along and are great teammates, but they have such different approaches. And most of the guys in this game are somewhere in the middle, right? Most of them are like, they know when to turn it on and turn it off. They know how to play the game. And Kat's like, I want to go hard. And Ant's like, I don't want to go at all. And like, it's just, you know, whatever. Um, real interesting. And of course, the East ended up running away with it. Dame hit two half-court shots. Uh, he attempted 23 threes in this game. It was just nuts. Um, so anyway, that's my... I, it wasn't even really a soapbox because I don't have a strong take on it other than it'd be cool if it if there was a little more defense played, just a little bit of resistance. I'm not asking for it to be, you know, 105-101 final. I'm just, you know, let's, uh, let's put up a bit of resistance. I, I think that would make this a little bit more fun. I'm still thinking of like Kobe Shaq alley-oops and, um, you know watching, I don't know, all those guys, the Gary Payton, Jason Kidd years, uh, like basically right before LeBron came into the league, uh, LeBron was had a mic'd up moment talking about his rookie year in the league with all those guys. I think his first All-Star year, I believe, was 05, the year after the Wolves went to the conference finals. Um, was I believe the first year LeBron was an All-Star. So anyway, um, it was fun. You know, the, the weekend itself was fun overall. There's certainly been less climactic, more anticlimactic all-star weekends in the past. Um, so it would have been uh, not a whole lot of Chris Finch, like not that there's a whole lot of coach attention, but there wasn't really any mic'd up um, content that I saw at least on on TNT. So I was a little disappointed on that front, but uh, fun overall. Good to see the Wolves fingerprints all over the weekend, even uh, you know, even though they weren't really talked about all that much um, on, uh, on the national broadcast. All right. That's all I got on that topic. I do want to get into some Wolves offense stuff. We'll hit some of that here to tee up the rest of the week conversation here on the show. And then we'll also get into, um, into the upcoming schedule too. So all that is upcoming next. Today's episode of Lockdown Wolves is brought to us by our friends at Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports, presentations, et cetera, are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I use Grammarly all the time. I actually make it when I make the graphics for this show. Um, something as, it's not a paper, right? It's a few words here. But like Grammarly is important to kind of keep you on track there. And, you know, when I've done presentations, et cetera, Grammarly can help me out there as well. Uh, better writing means a stronger impact. So whatever it is, whatever the application is, you'll get a better impact with better writing. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing. Grammarly works across 500,000, that's a half million apps and websites. By understanding your writing in context, Grammarly provides relevant personalized suggestions. Their tone suggestions help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Consider that for emails. How big would that be? Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly, G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Lockdown has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube, and now it's available on Amazon Fire TV and the free Fire TV channels app. Lockdown Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Lockdown, plus our national shows covering every league. Find Lockdown Sports Today now available on the free Fire TV channels app. All right, uh, let's talk Timberwolves offense. So this is, this is I'm going to kind of just jump right into this, and I want to spend more time later this week. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll ex- 
explain what I mean by this. So I do want to go into some context for the Wolves offense and basically look at the last several. I'll probably expand it to conference finalists. So like essentially the final four, if you will, of the NBA for the last decade or something like that. Basically back to the, you know, the um, the real we'll call it the three ball revolution, right? When the offenses started to explode and the three point attempts went crazy. Cause if you go back 15 years, offenses look nothing like they do now. I mean, go back six years, they don't really look anything like they do now, but in terms of shot profiles, go back about 10 years. I want to um, go back through the league's final four over the past decade or so. Look at where those offenses were ranked when it was all said and done, where those defenses were ranked and what the offensive shot profiles looked like of the teams that were in the final four and compare that to the Timberwolves. And then secondarily talk about turnover rate, because that's the big outlier for Minnesota. They're so good at basically everything else. Um, Rebounding could be a bit up and down free throw rate defensively, or I should say opponent free throw rate uh, on the defensive end of the floor for Minnesota can be an issue, but the most consistent problem all season has been turnovers. So I want to look into that too. So the, the quick the quick look at this right now is that sitting here right now, Minnesota is the number 15 offense, according to cleaning the glass. Basketball offense has them 17. Of course, cleaning the glass takes out garbage time. So they have Minnesota as the exact middle of the pack, 15th ranked offense. And of course, the number one ranked defense, no matter where you look, a full two and a half points better than the second ranked Cleveland defense in terms of points per 100 possessions, just 108.5 points per 100 possessions. For Minnesota. So that also, by the way, means they have the number two net rating in the entire league behind only Boston. Okay. And they're a half point, by the way, in net rating better than Oklahoma City, who's number three. But specific to the offense, the offensive shot profile, it's been a little while since we've talked about this, probably back around close to Christmas, almost two months ago, since I've really dug into the shot profile. But there's something at Cleaning the Glass that they call uh, loca- location effective field goal percentage. And what that is, is if the team shot the league average field goal percentage from every location. What would their effective field goal percentage be? Which essentially, it just gives you the idea of the efficiency of a team's shot profile. So in other words, are they shooting more threes? Are they shooting more free throws? I believe it's even weighted toward corner threes being more valuable because they're closer than above the break threes. Um, I think it's a pretty interesting tool. Now, if you sort these teams by location, effective field goal percentage, the top 10 does not look anything like, I shouldn't say it doesn't look anything like, there isn't like an overwhelming trend towards these being the top 10 offenses for a couple of reasons. One, obviously defense matters. Well, no, sorry. I guess it doesn't correlate to the standings. It also doesn't correlate to offense. So that's one point. It also doesn't correlate to, I mixed my points there. It also doesn't correlate to the top 10 offenses directly. So um, you still got to make your shots, right? Obviously. So, like, for instance, the number one team in location effective field goal percentage is uh, is Cleveland, but they're 17th in offense because they're actually not that good of a shooting team. Even if their shot selection is good, they also don't get to the line very often, right? So that that matters. But Minnesota, is still, it still is a good thing to be in the top 10. Like, I mean, for instance, um, let's see, what's another good, what's a good example of the other side of this? Uh I mean, actually, Indiana's offense hasn't been all that great. There's a couple good examples in there. Uh, Milwaukee's one, right? Like, they have the second-best offense. Or, I'm sorry, the fifth, fifth-ranked fifth offense. Oh, Indiana, I'm sorry. My eyes skipped a line again. Indiana's third in offense. They're also third in location-effective field goal percentage. Milwaukee's fifth in location-effective field goal percentage. They're fifth in offense. So there is some correlation. It's just maybe not as perfect as you expect. 
Well, Minnesota is a good example of that. They're seventh in terms of their location effective field goal percentage. Their shot profile is solid. It's top 10 league wide, but they're just 15th in offense. Why is that? Well, they're 28th in turnover rate. They turn the ball over way too much. In terms of frequency, Minnesota shoots the seventh most corner threes in the league and the eighth most rim attempts. They're also fifth uh, fifth in in uh, short mid-range shots, which is between 4 and 14 feet, right? All those, um, I guess, the the ant shots from the side that aren't, you know, he kind of has that in-between shot. He likes to shoot. Jade McDaniel shoots a ton from that range. The Conley floaters, um, uh, Kyle Anderson shooting between 4 and 14 feet. The Wolves are fifth in attempts for that range. But they're 28th in non-corner three-point attempts and 26th in long mid-range attempts, which means that they don't actually shoot that many long mid-range shots, which is a little bit surprising because it feels like Ant shoots a lot of those. The non-corner three thing isn't a major deal because they're so good at corner threes and the guys that do shoot above the break threes are really great at making them. Alexander Walker has turned into a very good above the break three-point shooter. Obviously, Cat Nas is very good from there. Uh, Conley is too. They just don't the volume actually isn't all that high in terms of non-corner threes for Minnesota. In terms of accuracy, they're second in above-the-break three-point percentage. They're fifth in corner three-point percentage. They're middle of the pack in both rim attempts and short mid-range. So they're getting those attempts off, but they're actually not shooting the ball that well at the rim or within or in that 4 to 14-foot range. The other thing that's pretty alarming here, and this is kind of where I wanted to spend an extra moment, is long mid-range jumpers. I talked about the frequency not being that high, but it's still a little higher than Chris Finch would like it. The accuracy is also bad. They're 28th in long mid-range jumper percentage, 37.6% as a team. And I want to highlight Anthony Edwards because that's a number that we know is ticked up for him. Now, he's shooting every year he's shot more Long mid-range jumpers. Each Actually, he shot a little bit more in his rookie year than he did his second year. But in general, it's trended upward, right? The trend line is up. The percentage is also trending up from that point on the floor, or that part of the floor. Long mid-range jumpers, last year he was about 35%. This year he's a little over 36%. 36% is not good. 36% would be slightly below average for three-pointers. But for long mid-range jumpers, that's not palatable. I mean, Kevin Durant, for comparison, is around 50% typically with long mid-range jumpers. That's a big difference from 36% to 50-ish percent. Even Kobe, now late in his career, Kobe struggled from deep, but Kobe would be another guy like, you know, without dragging Michael Jordan into the conversation, Kobe would be kind of the other long mid-range jumper artist that you think of whose game footwork closely somewhat resembles Anthony Edwards, or I should say Ant resembles his game in some ways. His best seasons were like in the low 40%, like 44-ish percent, 43-ish percent from long mid range, which is not a good percentage for that shot. But a lot of the time, like go to like 04 when the Lakers beat the Wolves in the conference finals, Kobe was under 38% from long mid range. It was still better than Ant's mark. In fact, Ant's current long mid range jumper percentage would be worse than every season Kobe had, except for his 19-year-old season, his second year in the league. And then his final three after the Achilles tear and, you know, things were obviously not the same for Kobe, but all the way up until 2013. So one season in his first basically 20, would you say that Kobe had a worse long mid-range jumper percentage than Anthony Edwards this year? And to this point, it's Ant's best. All I'm saying is the Wolves still need to shoot less long mid-range jumpers and Ant needs to make more of them if he's going to shoot them. That's got to be like, I would rather he spend his summer working on his three-point shot. 
But if he's going to take those mid-range jumpers, he's got to make them at a higher clip. And uh, then it becomes like nobody's telling Kevin Durant to not shoot 18 footers because he shoots them at a ridiculous percentage. He's shooting mid-range, you know, long mid-range jumpers at a clip that some guys shoot within five feet of the basket. It really is almost like a layup for guys like Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, right? It's not that way for Anthony Edwards yet. Now, more on this the rest of this week. We will talk more shot profile, et cetera. And then I want to talk again the context of the Wolves offense and their team profile, their offense, and then their defensive efficiency in the context of the last decade of uh, of contenders for the title. All right, let's close by taking a peek at the Wolves' upcoming schedule. We'll do that here next uh, to end the show. Today's episode of Lockdown Wolves is brought to us by our friends at Nissan. Are you the kind of driver that likes to push things just a little bit further? Ever wonder what adventure could be around the next corner? Well, our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take your adventure to the next level. The 2024 Nissan Rogue is perfect for city drives and great escapes. Class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Gone are the days of connecting your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system. The 2024 Rogue is the perfect midsize crossover for your next adventure. Plus, uh, Nissan's incredible lineup also includes the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. It has room for up to eight, an expansive cargo capacity and advanced available 4x4 capability. With 284 horsepower and up to 6,000 pounds towing, when adventure calls, the Pathfinder is there to answer. Take the Nissan Rogue, the Nissan Pathfinder, or the Nissan Armada and go find your next big adventure. Shop NissanUSA.com. All right, uh, let's talk upcoming schedule for the Wolves. I'm going to throw it up here if you're watching on YouTube. So Minnesota's back in action at home on Friday night against the Bucks. Today's Monday. We've still got four days before we get Wolves basketball back. They're hosting the Milwaukee Bucks, who they uh, really dominated a Lillard-less and uh, Chris Middleton-less Bucks team uh, a couple of weeks ago in Milwaukee. Now, this is in Minnesota. It is a 9 p.m. Central tip. It was added as an ESPN game. So the Wolves do not tip off till 9 p.m. on Friday night. And unfortunately, it's the front night of a back-to-back. The following evening, the Wolves stay at Target Center to take on the Brooklyn Nets at 8 p.m., obviously a very winnable game. And this is actually the start of a seven-game homestand for Minnesota before they then turn around and go on a six-game road trip, which, by the way, is followed by a four-game homestand and seven of eight at home overall. So yes, the Wolves have a bunch of home games remaining, but they also have a bunch of back-to-backs. They've only played... I think three back-to-back sets, maybe four to this point. Well, guess what? They get two right away coming out of the break. Friday, Saturday, then they're off Sunday, Monday. Then they play Tuesday, Wednesday. Then later that same week, they play Sunday, Monday back-to-back at home. So three back-to-backs as part of the seven-game homestand. So that's the downside of the homestand. And then their first two road games are also a back-to-back. March 7th and 8th at Indiana at Cleveland. And then they have another back-to-back that's a road home one against Utah and Denver. That's a rough one at Salt Lake City at altitude. And then the next night, back home to play the Denver Nuggets for just the second time this season. That's a severe, I don't know where Denver's coming from before that, but it's got to be a travel disadvantage, a rest disadvantage for Minnesota. Um, that's going to be really tough. But anyway, more in the near term here. The Bucks game's obviously tough. Milwaukee's going to want to get to a, off to a, a much better start in the second half of the season. Um, they're three and seven, I believe, under Doc Rivers so far. So Wolves, Bucks, Friday night will be tough. Then Brooklyn, San Antonio, Memphis, all very winnable games. That Memphis game the following Wednesday is also an ESPN game. 
And then Sacramento. We haven't seen Sacramento since uh, what the weekend or the week of Christmas. They they won at the Kings right before Christmas, and remember they were beat by them in that in season tournament game way back in late November. So we haven't seen Memphis now in almost or will or excuse me Sacramento in two months. They play them on Friday, March first. Then the Clippers and Portland. So this is a homestand that they really should go. At worst, four and three, hopefully five and two. I think that's completely reasonable. And then the road trip at Indiana, at Cleveland, which is a back-to-back. And then at LA, where they play the Lakers and Clippers with a day off in between. And then two games in Utah. That's a rough road trip. All really difficult games. Um, they all could be playoff teams or play-in teams. Probably not Utah, but uh, they're at least still in the conversation. I mean, that five-game road trip, if you go three and two, or excuse me, six-game road trip, if you go four and two, you feel great. If you go three and three, you're probably okay with that too. So it's a really, really challenging schedule upcoming for Minnesota. There's no question about that. Um, now, that middle part of this seven-game homestand, Brooklyn, San Antonio, Memphis, Sacramento, or well, really Brooklyn, San Antonio, Memphis, you got to win those three to kind of make you feel okay about the Milwaukee-Sacramento Clippers games all mixed in there. But it's time for Minnesota to really kind of cement this home court advantage. They've not done quite as well at home here of late as they did early in the season. And the Wolves should be, you know, uh, knock on wood at, at full strength here coming out of the out of the All-Star break, um, or at least, you know, not have a whole lot of dinged up guys. You know, uh, Ant only played 13 minutes Sunday. Cat did play 28, but now they've still got four days off before... Uh, before they have another game. So should be a fun a fun stretch at Target Center coming out of the break. The rest of this week, I talked about this already, well, plenty of bigger picture stuff Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, we'll preview the game against the Bucks. get ready for finally some more Timberwolves basketball. At, you know, it'll be eight days after the last time they played. So looking forward to that on Friday night. All right, that's all we have for you today here on the show. A big thank you for making Locked on Wolves your first listen every day. Of course, this show is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms. You can also watch on the Locked on Sports Minnesota app on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. And you can follow on X at Locked on T-Wolves and also at B-Beacon with two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. Of course, the Locked on Wolves podcast is part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked on Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Lockdown Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.